0: Dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word is sharp and active, always doing its work. For when God speaks, it happens. This is just as true for the disciples in their fishing boats there along the Sea of Galilee as it was for the crowds who heard Jesus proclaim, Repent, the kingdom is near. And just as it was at the beginning of creation, when the voice of God spoke all things into existence, the voice said, Be light and light became. And when God breathed into the dirt of the earth, life began. So you see, there is no gap, no space, no distance between God's Word and true reality. But rather, all things exist by God's Word. This is why Christians like us gathered here today can be so bold to use a name as outrageous, as astounding, amazing, and even offensive as calling ourselves children of God. Because it's not what we see in ourselves, but it's what God has told us that we are. And so we claim this even while we continue to see inside of ourselves and outside of all of us together examples that certainly should disqualify us from such a lofty perch. We see flaws, we see errors, both in our actions and in our character And yet still boldly we say what God has said to us, that we are beloved children of God in Christ. We are forgiven and we belong to God because he's claimed us by this word that makes our reality. For the word of God in Christ plants itself down into our lives and calls us from our deep darkness and death, into the dawn of his lights. And his word is this light for us, this word that accomplishes turning us from sinners into saints immediately. It's usually the immediately that gives us pause and causes us to moan and to groan and to grumble. But that is exactly the point of our gospel reading today. That God's word does this immediately. Watch as Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee and he finds a couple of fishermen. And all he does is speak to them. Follow me. And immediately they do. Jesus speaks it happens. Immediately they leave their nets and follow him. And this is, of course, what causes everyone who reads this to start doing mental gymnastics, to bend this way and that in order to make sense of such a strange story. What caused them to leave, we want to know. There must be more to the story, isn't there? Something outside of what we're given in the Bible? Did Peter and Andrew already know Jesus? Maybe they went to school together at some point. Maybe they had been pondering a move like this for some time, and this was just the opportunity they had been looking for. I wonder if they were sick of smelling the fish in those nets. Certainly, there must have been something more going on, something that we have to fill in the gaps, right? There has to be a gap in there somewhere to make sense of this, but we aren't told anything. And so it seems unreasonable and irrational. Nobody would just throw in the towel and leave home and family and business to follow a stranger who just said, follow me, right? And so I've heard many people, and I've tried myself to rationalize this story, to make it make sense in my experience. As we do with every call story, including yours, trying to say, why me? What happened? But it always comes down to one common theme. We expect the call of Jesus to make sense to us, to be reasonable and to follow a predictable pattern so that we can say, well, this is how it happens. This is how I became a follower of Jesus. This is how you can too. But that's the gap that Jesus' word fills immediately. Just as the Bible reads, he was simply walking along, and he spotted some fishermen, and he said, follow me. And they did. He didn't walk up and explain to them what he was going to do. He didn't hold open the door until they made up their minds and said, finally, I got a couple of suckers. He's not giving out invitations to follow him like sending out birthday party invitations to see if it'll fit into your calendar and maybe you can come if you've got nothing else to do. Jesus, in calling his disciples, is not waiting for them to count the cost, to see if it's a good deal for them, after making a list of all the pros and cons and figuring out what their best option is going forward. Instead, he speaks, and it happens. Follow me. Is Jesus creating a new, immediate reality that just envelops the life of his disciples? An immediate reality that did not exist before. It wasn't possible. The light had not come. He calls each one into this life that is beyond reason, beyond our understanding, because it's something completely new. Now, I have been pretty honest about some of my foibles and problems uh, in this congregation for some time, especially around my terrible gift-giving habits. I know it's a problem. I just can't change. I'm so grateful that Catherine is a very thoughtful giver. She puts a lot of time into uh, into this. Otherwise, my family wouldn't know what it would be like to receive anything off your Christmas list. But this year, I had big hopes I was going to change my ways. I got a list, I had a plan, and I started shopping early. It was December 23rd. Now, I knew I was a little behind most people, but despite the long lines that I knew I was going to get into, I had a plan, and I knew exactly where to go and what I was going to get. That was until I was standing there in front of the shelves. Turns out a lot of stuff is already sold out by December 23rd. Who knew that? Most of you, probably. But standing there in front of the mostly empty shelves on Christmas Eve Eve, I experienced a bit of the immediateness that I'm talking about here today. It's this kind of new reality that appears right in front of you that you couldn't have even imagined beforehand. There I was with my hopes and plans coming to a crashing end right before me. I was out of options. All I could do was take what was there. A a mixture of fear and urgency and powerlessness came upon me, and it was clear that the only thing that I could possibly do was make the best of what was there. This is, I think, the kind of moment that Peter and Andrew receive when Jesus appears to them on the Sea of Galilee. As they receive this light shining into their lives, and there is nothing left for them except to follow Jesus. And then, as if to make the point, the very next story, it happens again for James and John, and it'll happen again to the disciple Matthew a few chapters later. It happens for all the disciples and everyone who Jesus encounters. He opens up for them a whole new way of living, a new kingdom, not of this earth, that calls us out of ourselves and into the life of Christ. It doesn't make sense. It's not rational and reasonable And and predictable. And it won't be. That's the new reality that Jesus brings. He sits and eats with sinners. Why would he do such a thing? He, He seeks out and finds the lost and the broken. What is he doing with them? He gives up his life to those who betray him. Not the best of us but all of us needing a new life beyond sin and death. And while all of that is true, the Bible still takes it even one step further. Today we hear one of my favorite verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The message of the cross is foolishness. Foolishness. It's worse than we thought. It's not only unreasonable, Hearing this and believing it makes you look like a fool. How in the world can you expect anyone to take you seriously in this world when you claim to be saved by Jesus who died on a cross for your sin? Of course it's foolish. It doesn't make any sense. But even more, it is this word of the cross that bestows upon you the new life of Christ. There on the cross, opening the kingdom of heaven. It's foolishness to all that is perishing in this world. But this very word is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It's much like Jesus walking along and proclaiming, repent, the kingdom is here. For repentance is to turn, but not to turn on to the right path, but to turn away from yourself and to live only in the mercy and grace of God's kingdom. Repenting is to enter that kingdom because you have no other options, because Christ has shown up in your life so that you do not have to return again and again to your past, to all of your regrets, and say, how do I make them right for me? But you get to put them behind and follow Christ into your future. Repent is not a word of judgment saying, you've done it all wrong, but it's a gracious word of saying, you have a new life before you. Repent and follow me, are both living and active words, doing their work, not waiting for your understanding and a sense. They work the same as, I forgive you, that when they are said, they happen, they work, and they do it. They open up an entirely new life. For di- discipleship is simply ignoring that barking little voice of sin, telling you that you're never good enough, putting that aside, saying to it, no more from you. You are dead to me, for I listen only to my living Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the light. This light which brings repentance and makes you his disciples has arrived. His name is Jesus Christ. He is your Savior and Lord. He speaks And it happens for you. You hear him and you live. Amen.